Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Positively Farming Media. There are... Very few things that taste like summer quite like a beautifully juicy cantaloupe or a perfectly ripe watermelon. I am cantaloupe obsessed. The instant they start ripening, I am eating half of one a day until the last one comes off the vine. I'm super picky about my watermelons, and I will eat those nonstop when I've got a really good one. Canary melons are kind of a new obsession for me, and they are a close runner-up to my cantaloupe, with Crenshaw melons not far behind. It is just something that I will eat all summer long. On today's episode of Just Grow Something, we're digging into all things melon. What is it take to grow them? Can they cross-pollinate? And what's the trick to picking a truly ripe watermelon? All that today and more, my gardening friends. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen, and I started gardening 18 years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard. When we moved to a five-acre homestead, I expanded that garden to half an acre, and I found such joy and purpose in feeding my family and friends. This newfound love for digging in the dirt and providing for others prompted my husband and I to grow our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm. When I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, I discovered there is so much power in food, and I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. On this podcast, we explore crop information, soil health, pests and diseases, plant nutrition, our own nutrition, and so much more in the world of food and gardening. So grab your garden journal and a cup of coffee and get ready to just grow something. So the currently accepted protocol is to divide all melons into two categories. Melons, which includes cantaloupe and honeydew and Crenshaw melons, etc., and watermelons. But since the growing of them is mostly the same in the home garden, I'm just going to lump them both together today. Melons and watermelons all hail from the same plant family, the Curcubitaceae family or the gourd family. This family also includes pumpkin, squash, cucumbers, and zucchini. But within that family, there are different genus and species. So let's start by clarifying what I mean when I'm talking about a cantaloupe. Cucumis milo is the genus that all cantaloupe fall within. As a matter of fact, it's what all melons fall within. But Cucumis milo variety cantalopensis is the true cantaloupe. And these are the things that are not commonly grown in the U.S. These are European cantaloupe. They have deeply grooved fruit with a hard or like warty or scaly rind and orange or green flesh. Cucumis milo variety reticulatus are what we call North American cantaloupe. These are those netted, very aromatic melons that people will often refer to as musk melons. That's what we call cantaloupe here in the U.S. Now, calling them musk melons is actually incorrect because everything that is in cucumis milo is considered a musk melon. That includes your cassabas and crenshaws and honeydews, snake melon, um, those late maturing 
Spring Winter Melon, Santa Claus Melon, all those things. Those are all Cucumis Milo. They are all considered musk melons. But for the purposes of this podcast, when I say cantaloupe, I'm referring to the North American cantaloupe, although all of these are actually grown in pretty much the same manner. Now, in the same vein, watermelon is not Cucumis Milo. Watermelon is Citrullus lanatus. Again, also in the Curcubitaceae family, but it also has like a thousand different varieties. The fruit of the watermelon is actually considered a berry. It's got that hard rind and has no internal divisions, so botanically it's called a pepo. Now, Cordofan melons from Sudan are the closest relatives to our modern cultivated watermelons. Wild watermelon seeds were found in a prehistoric site in Libya that dates to approximately 3500 BC. And then they were domesticated in Northeast Africa and cultivated in Egypt by about 2000 BC. But those were not our sweet modern variety. Those did not develop until about Roman times when they started to spread across the Mediterranean. And there are actually three different cultivar groups of watermelon. So understand what we're talking about today right now on the podcast are the sweet watermelons, which leads me right into the ethnobotany of melons in general. Ethnobotany is the study of a region's plants and their practical uses through the traditional knowledge of a local culture and its people. Watermelon and cantaloupe have been used by various cultures for their medicinal and culinary purposes. So watermelon were actually originally cultivated because of their high water content, and they were stored to be eaten during dry seasons, not just as a food source, but as a method of storing water. It's believed that watermelon has diuretic properties. So um, some cultures, it's been used to support kidney health and help to alleviate urinary tract infections. It's been used as an anti-inflammatory and antioxidant. Um, it's claimed to have anti-diabetic effects. It's just important to note here that the scientific evidence supporting these claims is kind of limited, but it also hasn't been deeply studied either. And then as far as cantaloupe is concerned, some cultures have used cantaloupe as a topical treatment for skin conditions. It's believed to have moisturizing and rejuvenating properties so that they use it to promote healthy skin and reduce inflammation. It's also been used to alleviate symptoms of conditions like fever and cough and asthma because it's believed to have cooling and soothing effects on the respiratory system. Now, one cup of diced watermelon provides 46 calories, 0.9 grams of protein, 11.5 grams of carbs, and 0.2 grams of fat, where cantaloupe weighs in at 60 calories, 1.5 grams of protein, 14.4 grams of carbs, and 0.3 grams of fat. Both of them are very, very hydrating. Melons have a high water content, which makes them an excellent choice for maintaining hydration. I think it's perfect for staying hydrated in the summer while working in the garden. Melons are also rich in vitamin C and vitamin A. They have various antioxidants, lycopene and beta-carotene specifically, which um, are supposed to help protect the body against cellular damage caused by free radicals. Um, lycopene in particular is more abundant in watermelon, and that's why they associate it oftentimes with heart health and cancer prevention. Melons are also a good source of several minerals, including potassium, magnesium, and copper. And melons provide a good amount of dietary fiber, so it helps in our digestion, and it helps maintain healthy blood sugar levels. 
It is worth noting here that the nutrient content may vary slightly depending on the specific type of melon we are growing as well. Speaking of growing them, how do we grow them? So watermelon and cantaloupe both need full sun. And they say six to eight hours, but I would definitely lean closer towards that eight hours of direct sunlight every day. They also, just like most of our garden plants, prefer well-draining soil that's rich in organic matter. So you want to amend the soil with compost or some well-rotted manure to improve its fertility and its drainage. And just make sure that you have any weeds or grass pulled from the planting area because they are not going to like that competition when they are first starting out. Eventually, as they grow, they will choke out anything that is underneath them. But in the beginning, they do not want the competition. And your soil pH should be between 6.0 and 7.5 for optimal growth. Any lower than 5.8, and you will start to see some problems specifically in watermelon. So be sure that you're testing that soil pH. Now, when you're choosing varieties of melons, you're going to want to match the days to harvest with the length of your growing season. It is possible to grow melons in a shorter season, but keep in mind that you're going to be planting these well after your last frost date, and you want to make sure that you have time for that crop to ripen well before the first frost in the fall. If you have a long enough season, you can get varieties with different maturity dates to spread out the harvest, or you can stagger your plantings. But if you have a shorter season, you may be looking at those varieties that have the shorter days. Some of these are like your icebox, mel uh, icebox melons. These are the watermelons like uh, Sweet Beauties or Sugar Babies, or even your more individual or personal-sized cantaloupe like Sugar Cube or Minnesota Midget. Now, if you're going to start them indoors, this is optional. This is um, a very good idea if you are in a region with a shorter growing season. You can start them indoors about two to three weeks before your anticipated planting date. Now, notice I said planting date here and not your last frost date because we definitely want that soil temperature to warm up, and we'll talk about that in a second. If you're starting them indoors, plant one or two seeds per container about an inch deep. Make sure that it's a container that is big enough to hold a pretty large plant. These seedlings grow very quickly and you don't want to have to pot them up or cause them to be stunted because they outgrew their container. The less handling of that root system, the better. So plant it in a larger container than you think you need and just anticipate being able to plant directly from that container into the ground. Now, in most areas that have longer growing seasons or warmer climates, you can directly sow the seeds outdoors. That is what I do. Um, generally wait until the soil temperature is consistently above 65 Fahrenheit or 18 Celsius, preferably 70 Fahrenheit for better plant health. I'm not usually in a rush to get them out unless I have a very large variety that needs loads of time to produce, usually like a, a large 100-day watermelon, but we don't really grow those anymore. I generally get the first batch of melon seeds out around the time that the tomatoes are going in, and I may plant a second fast maturing crop about a month or so later. You just want to make sure that the soil is nice and warm. Plant your seeds about an inch deep, space them about two to three feet apart in rows or in hills that are five to six feet apart. These are very, very viney plants, and they want to take up a lot of room, and the more room they have to sprawl, the better off they are. Now, if you started your seeds indoors, then you're going to transplant those seedlings out. After they have developed their second set of true leaves, make sure that you harden them off by gradually exposing them to those outdoor conditions over the course of a week or so before planting them in the garden. And then again, put them out at that same spacing, about two to three feet apart. 
either in rows or in hills, and those rows and hills should be about five to six feet apart. Now, I know I said these sprawl, but there are bush varieties that have more compact vines. Some of them are only about three feet long. So these are actually suitable for growing in containers. And if you have very little room where you can't even afford to have those vines coming out over the containers, you can train them up a trellis. But for all but the smallest varieties, you're going to want to provide some support to the developing fruit. You can create fruit hammocks out of scrap material to support the weight so the fruit gets to full maturity without breaking from the vine prematurely. And this can actually be done in any garden, really, not just a container. Trellising is a a great way to grow melons while saving space. If you're doing watermelon, again, I recommend icebox-sized melons like Sweet Beauty or Sugar Baby that are easier to support than something like, say, a Crimson Sweet that can be 25 pounds or a Georgia Rattlesnake that gets to be two foot long and weighs 30 pounds or more. Those are best grown on the ground. Now, remember back to the beginning when I said watermelon and cantaloupe are in different genus, even though they're in the same plant family? This is why it's perfectly fine to grow watermelon and cantaloupe together in the same area and still be able to save the seeds. One is cucumis, one is citrellus. And you can grow other types of melons, cantaloupes and honeydew, and cucumbers can all be grown close together without fear of crossing. But remember, each of these items will cross within their own species. So if you wanted to save seeds from the fruit to plant next year, you need to separate the different varieties of watermelon or the different varieties of melons from each other. So when a cross does happen between two varieties within the same species, the resulting fruit that year is completely normal looking and tasting. Only the resulting seed carries the cross gene. So if you save the seed and you plant it at the following year, you might get something of a frankenmelon. But the current year's fruit will be perfectly fine. And if you don't plan to save seeds, it might be a good idea to plant multiple varieties that all flower around the same time, just for pollination's sake. Depending on the cultivar, cantaloupe and other muskmelon plants may bear separate male and female flowers on the same plant. This is called monoecious. Or male and perfect flowers or complete flowers. Those are flowers that have both male and female organs in the same flower on the same plant. This is called being andromonoecious. And watermelons bear separate male and female flowers on the same plant. They are also monoecious. So young plants begin bearing male flowers first. Depending on the cultivar, either the perfect flowers or the female flowers will begin appearing about one to two weeks after the start of the male flowers. Now, melons are not pollinated by wind, and since melon pollen is very heavy and very sticky, even those varieties that have those perfect or complete flowers are going to need bees or other pollinators for adequate pollination. The bees will transfer the pollen from the male flowers to the female flowers, or within those complete flowers, they will transfer the pollen from the stamen within the perfect flower to get it down into the stigma, making fruit set possible. If you are in a particularly humid climate, this pollen gets even heavier and stickier and harder to move. So pollinators are necessary for melons, period. 
And this is where those different varieties come in. If you're not saving seeds, you just increase the production possibility by offering up more flowers for the bees to use to pollinate. Right after this, we'll talk about the different diseases and pests that can plague our cantaloupe and watermelon, how to know when to harvest the fruits, and how to store them properly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We know that summer heat can really take a toll on the garden, but have you taken a look at your lawn lately? The heat of the summer is a perfect time to apply summer strength. The heat stress water conserving formula specifically for lawns from Elm Dirt. Prepare your lawn for the heat and traffic of summer fun by using code Wolf Creek, all caps, all one word at checkout for a buy one, get one free offer from Elm Dirt on any of their products. Just grow something podcast.com slash dirt gets you there and code Wolf Creek saves you the coin. The link is in the show notes. Okay, let's talk about the pests that might want to plague our cantaloupe or our watermelon. The most common pests are striped or spotted cucumber beetles, aphids, squash vine borers, squash bugs, flea beetles, and sometimes spider mites. You want to regularly inspect your plants and take action as soon as you see any of these going on. We've talked about the squash vine borer and the squash bugs before. These are a real problem here in West Central Missouri in our zucchinis, and yes, they can actually play plague our watermelon and our cantaloupe plants as well. For cucumber beetles, you really do want to control them if possible because they can also lead into bacterial wilt, which is one of the diseases that we have to worry about. So some of the diseases that we get in cantaloupe and watermelon include powdery mildew and downy mildew. Bacterial wilt, again, this is spread by the cucumber beetles, um, fusarium wilt, fungal leaf spot, cucumber mosaic virus, and scab. A lot of these things can be prevented by making sure there is plenty of air circulation, so be sure that you are spacing your plants far enough apart and you want to eliminate any weeds or that are around the plants in order to improve that air circulation. If you get bacterial wilt, you need to remove and discard any of the infested plants because they will continue to spread it to the other ones. Um, fusarium wilt, ugh, this one is difficult. This is the one that's in the soil, so you will need to plant in a different area the following year. If you do have fusarium wilt in your soil and you already know that, there are tolerant varieties of certain of the uh, the melons. And then with the other ones, the fungal leaf spot and the, the scab and that sort of thing, you want to avoid getting the foliage wet. And speaking of wet foliage, one more thing that's not really a disease, but it's a consideration for growing. Just like all of our garden plants, providing deep watering sessions to your melons is going to encourage that deep root growth. So mulching around the plants is going to conserve the moisture. It's going to suppress the weed growth. 
but be aware with melons. Excess moisture can actually negatively affect the sweetness and the fruit quality of both the melons and the watermelons. This is particularly true late in the fruiting stage in when the melons can actually swell with water at a faster rate than they can produce sugar. So this is going to result in a very bland, watery melon. So if you are in an area with particularly wet summers, growing up on those mounds or hills is going to help with drainage to help prevent waterlogged soils and bland melons. So when it comes to harvesting, one very common problem, specifically in watermelons, is harvesting too early. I see post after post every summer, and it is so sad to see gardeners cut open what they thought was this beautifully, perfectly ripe melon that they've been babying on the vine for months, only to have it be barely red in the center and nothing but white rind all the way around. Trust me, I did it myself for the first several years that I was trying to grow watermelon. Harvesting or knowing when to harvest watermelon takes practice, okay? The harvest time is going to vary depending on the variety, but generally speaking, you can expect to harvest a watermelon anywhere between 70 and 90 days after planting. Keep track of your seed packets so that you know when to start looking for the signs of ripeness. What are those signs? The rind of the watermelon should be dull. It should no longer be shiny, okay? So a dull rind color. The underside of the melon, if you're growing it on the ground, obviously this isn't going to work if you're growing it on a trellis, but if it's growing on the ground, there is going to be a dark yellow spot where it sat on the ground. You wanted a deep, dark, almost orange yellow, not a pale yellow, not a white, dark yellow, okay? Then you're going to look on the vine and find the tendril that is closest to your fruit. When it withers and dries, your watermelon should be pretty close to being ready. And then the final thing, I swear it's true, tapping on the melon. It should sound hollow. And honestly, when I hold a ripe watermelon and I hold one hand on the bottom and I thump the top, with my other hand, I should feel that vibration in the bottom hand all the way through. It should sound very deep and very hollow. I know this is kind of subjective and you won't know until you actually do it what it is that you're supposed to be looking for. And it does take practice. I encourage people at the farmer's market when they're trying to figure out, I'm like, here, come here, come listen to this, come thump on this, feel how this is, look what this looks like. And, and that helps gardeners figure out what their watermelon are supposed to look like in their own gardens when it's time to harvest them. Now, cantaloupe are a little different. They are usually ready, you know, anywhere between 80 to 100 days after planting. They should smell really sweet. You should be able to smell that cantaloupe. The rind color is going to change to like a beige or a yellow. The netting on, and we're talking about North American cantaloupe here, the netting is going to be very visible. It's going to have a rough texture, and it will usually slip very easily from the vine. You can just do a gentle twist, and it will come right off. The other thing, too, as the blossom end, right, of, of the melon itself, 
should be slightly soft. If you press your thumb in there, it should have a little bit of give. They should be firm and that netting around them should be really well formed, but you should be able to give have just a little bit of give in that blossom end. This is called the full slip stage. This is the stage of ripeness at which the melon will come away easily from the stem attachment and the skin begins to take on that slightly yellow appearance under the netting. There shouldn't be anything in, in the green stage. Um, other melons, you know, you've got cassava, Crenshaw, honeydew, Santa Claus, canary, all of those you probably are going to go ahead and have to refer to the packaging for what the melon should look like when it's ripe and then how to tell if it's ready. Most seed packets will say so, or if you go on to like the seed manufacturer's website, they will talk about what they're supposed to look like. In general, Honeydew melons should be harvested when the stem end is slightly springy and then that skin begins to take on sort of a creamy yellow appearance. The Crenshaw melons, again, the blossom ends should start to soften. The skin should be a golden yellow and greenish kind of tint. Um, cassabas, the skin is slightly golden. The flesh is going to be white. Canary melons, they should be a bright, deep canary yellow before they're harvested. So, but just pay attention to what the variety is that you purchased and keep those seed packets so that you have that information about what to look for when it's time to harvest. Now, what about storage? This is the problem with melons. Um, watermelon specifically is not adapted to long storage, and it actually doesn't like really low temperatures. They don't like to be in the refrigerator if your refrigerator is below 45 degrees, which most of ours are. Um, they can kind of get this chilling injury, and they you know, don't don't eat quite as well. But then high temperatures are even worse. If you leave it on the on the counter for too long, it's not going to do very well either. It's going to get mushy. So the general consensus is that between 50 and 60 Fahrenheit and a relative humidity of 90% is kind of a good compromise. And you can keep a watermelon at that temperature range for about two weeks or so, maybe three weeks. Um, you don't want to be holding them at room temperature for very long because they're going to affect the flavor. So Obviously, your refrigerator is colder than that 50 to 60 degrees. So if you're going to hold it for longer than a few days, um, I would recommend trying to find a cooler spot in your house, whether it's a, a, a basement or a garage or someplace like that. Now we talk about cantaloupe. These you definitely want to put into the refrigerator. Them sitting on the counter much longer beyond when they have ripened is going to cause them to become sort of mushy and overripe. They, again, don't love it super cold, but between 36 and 41 degrees Fahrenheit at 95% relative humidity is actually just sort of the sweet spot. Anything lower than that, and it's going to be, it's going to start to cause a little bit of damage, but that's better than letting them sit out on the counter for too long. So we keep our refrigerator very, very cold. I just try to put it in sort of the warmest spot of a refrigerator and they last just fine. But then again, I'm eating them so quickly that <laughs> I wouldn't know, um, f you know, for how long they, they can hold. They're, they're really should be okay for anywhere from five days to two weeks at that refrigerated temperature. Um, your honeydew, your Crenshaw, your cassava melons, 
again, they don't like being held for too long below 40 degrees. Um, Honeydew and Crenshaw are better at 45, cassava at 50. So if you meet, really what this all means is if you end up harvesting more melons than you can reasonably expect to eat over a couple of weeks, then you are likely going to need to cube them up and freeze them if you want to use them later. Um, which I have done. And and with the exception of the watermelon, the majority of them all hold pretty consistently well being cubed and thrown into the freezer and then just being defrosted later to be used for whatever. Um, watermelon tends to lose a little bit of its texture. So that one I generally just don't freeze. But the other ones, all the other melons, I've had really good experience with freezing when I have too much of it. Okay, so that's the basics of growing melon. Hopefully this encourages you to be able to grow your own. I know they kind of seem like they are overwhelming because they will take over an entire area. So look at maybe growing some of those compact varieties if you're concerned about the space that's needed or look at possibly trellising them up a trellis or over a cattle panel in some way. There really is nothing better tasting than a fresh melon in the middle of the summer, especially when you are working in the heat. So I hope that you will all give it a try. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden, and we'll talk again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com where you can find all the episodes, show notes, articles, courses, newsletter sign up, and more. I'd also love for you to head to Facebook and join our gardening community in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning and keep growing.